Well, hello, everybody. We are about to read from the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. And again, I'll have you stand. If you don't have your own Bible, that's totally okay. But we'd love for you to have a physical copy of God's word in front of you. So if you look behind you, you'll see those blue hardback Bibles. If you um, grab one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 1160 and you'll open right up. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Nate Moyer, and I get the privilege of being the youth director here at Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. Pastor Dustin is on vacation in Sun River right now, hence me being up here. So um, it's just such an honor for me to get to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. So if you go ahead and look down at your Bibles. Let's go ahead and read. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partake of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Friends, my words will fade away, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can go ahead and take a seat and let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. We thank you for this letter from Paul that was meant for a church in Ephesus a, a, a thousand years ago. But Lord, we thank you that we can learn from it today. We thank you that we can draw um, from its wisdom today. And I pray that as we seek to um, see your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you in this passage. I pray that you would open our minds to understand what we're reading. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive any encouragement or any correction that you might have to give us this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for this body of believers where we can come together and learn more about you. We thank you for that privilege. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said earlier, I get to be the youth director here at Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. And as I have worked with high schoolers and middle schoolers, I've become more acutely aware of the objective fact that the more popular something is, the less cool it is. So at the risk of me sounding extremely uncool to my high schoolers and middle schoolers, uh, in these seats this morning. I am 
a huge fan of Marvel movies. And for those of you that go to the youth group, you probably kind of know this already. But I, I like, I'm not a huge fan of the TV shows. It's a little too much Marvel. But I am a, I am a fan of the Marvel movies. And, um, you know, I, I get the Martin Scorsese of the, of the world that are like, uh, like, it's not real cinema. But not, you know, like sometimes not everything has to have an Oscar-worthy moment, you know, a tearjerker moment. Sometimes movies can just be fun. And that's what I like about the Marvel movies, is that they're fun. And it's kind of ironic that I say that I like the Marvel movies because they're fun. Because my favorite character from the Marvel movies is Captain America, who is arguably the least fun and most stiff out of all the Avengers. But the reason why I like Captain America so much is because he's resilient. He's resilient. When we first meet Captain America, he's this, like, skinny, like, idealistic weakling who, like, joins the army in World War II and, like, fights bullies twice his size. Like, that's resilience. He stands up for what he believes in despite the fact that he's probably going to get pummeled. And when we finish this story in Avengers Endgame, we get this wide pan shot of him standing on this ledge and he's looking out on the armies of Thanos, this giant alien army. And, and he's standing one man alone with this broken shield in his hand. He's willing to die for those he loves and the world he loves. And that is resilience. And let me tell you, every time I see that scene, I get a chill down my spine because I just, I love scenes like that. I love to see resilient characters showing their resiliency. And I'm not alone either because Hollywood keeps, like, pumping out these resilient characters on our big screen. We got, we got Maximus. We got Katniss Everdeen, Luke Skywalker, Indiana Jones, Mulan. Even our kids, like, to a certain extent love to see resilient characters like, like Dora the Explorer. You know, she just keeps on exploring. She never gives up. But, when, uh, but, but why do we as humans love characters like this? I would say that we love characters, that we love to see resilient characters because we see a bit of ourselves in them. When we watch characters on the big screen go through really hard things and yet still persevere, we see ourselves in them because we go through really hard things and yet still persevere. And when we see someone struggle through something and fail many times, but at the very end, come out on top, we clap our hands and we cheer. Because, because deep down, that's what we all long for. We all long for that day where we're going to come out on top. And sometimes we, like some, we go through struggles in our lives, and sometimes we don't know what the ending of our story is going to be. We don't know if the thing that we're doing, that, that we're going to come out on top at the end of it. That's what we all long for. That's what we all long for, for ourselves and for our family members. But, but, but if we haven't, th this, is, this is what I want you to see from this. If we haven't placed our hope in Jesus Christ, then we can have no resiliency. Then we're not going to. Because the thing is that when we place our hope in Jesus Christ, we do know at the end of the day that everything's going to be okay. No matter what happens to us here in this life, at the end of the day, what, what, what's at the other side? It's eternity. It's eternity with our Father. And my encouragement to you is to place your hope into the living hope, which is Jesus Christ. And all too often, I think we place our hope in other things other than Jesus. Some of us place our hope in money. 
Some of us place our hope in our spouse or our kids. Some of us place it in our popularity, in the way our bodies look. But Romans 5, 5 says that the hope that Jesus Christ offers will never disappoint. And all these other things will disappoint. You can lose your money. Your kids can and will disappoint you. Just ask Rick and Michelle Moyer. Just kidding, I'm wildly successful, look at me. But, and calling our attention back to this passage, need I remind you where Paul is writing this letter from? He's writing it from a prison cell. How is Paul, a man who is currently in prison for his faith, able to say to a group of people to take heart in this very faith that he's in prison for? How is he able to, to see past his current circumstances? It's because he's not focused on his current circumstances. He's not putting his hope in his current circumstances. Instead, he's putting his hope in Jesus Christ and the living hope. And that is what he is encouraging the church in Ephesus to do. And that is what he is encouraging us to do. Christian, friend, have you placed your hope in the living hope of Jesus Christ? Have you built your house on the solid rock or have you built your house on shifting sand, on things that can change, on things that we can lose? And I think what, what we see from Paul and the way that he starts out this letter is calling our attention to the wondrous mystery of Christ and helping us to see the value in the wondrous mystery of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and look down at verse 1 with me. We're going to read through verse 6. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, get that, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, we're, Paul's calling our attention to the mystery. He brings up this word a lot, the mystery, the mystery, the mystery. We see Paul bring this up elsewhere in other letters. Like this is a very prevalent thing in Paul's vocabulary. It's a mystery of Christ Jesus and his plan and, and God's plan. And, and we even see Jesus bring this up in the gospel, some mystery of God's plan. And the way that I've always viewed this and the way that I think a lot of modern Christians uh, view this is through our lens of what a mystery is, which, which is what? How would you define what a mystery is? Well, I would, I, would, I would probably say that a mystery is something that we don't know the answer to, yet it is within our control to figure out what that answer is. Like, what's the first thing that you think of when you think of the word, when you hear the word mystery, what's the first thing you think of? For me, it's a detective. It's, it's like Nancy Drew, it, Sherlock Holmes, Scooby-Doo and, and the mystery gang. But I heard a sermon once that made me completely recontextualize how I view the mystery of God's plan in Christ Jesus. And in that sermon, uh, the, the preacher said that Paul's definition, and, and, and by extension the Greeks' definition of mystery, the way that they would have understood mystery is very different from the way that we would understand what a mystery is. Paul is not talking about a mystery that is discoverable, that you can take out your magnifying glass for and like look really close 
say all the clues to come to a conclusion. Paul is talking about a mystery that is so counterintuitive that we could never know the answer to it if it weren't revealed to us. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about. In other words, the message of the gospel and the objective truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us is so unbelievable that it goes against everything we think we know about how the world works. And that's a wild way to think about the gospel. What do I mean by this? Where do we see this? Well, I like the song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. It's a, it's a song that we, that we sing very often. It's one of my favorite worship songs right now. And I think that that song actually lays this out really clearly for us to see in the wonder of the conception of Jesus, in the admirable life he lived, in the appalling nature of his death, and in the glory of his resurrection. And verse 1 talks about the wonder of the conception of Jesus. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity, looked to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. I love that, that, that word, condescended. He came down, he left his throne to come down and be born in a manger and to live among us. That doesn't make sense because the way that we view the world is if somebody has power over you, if somebody has authority over you, if somebody is higher above you, they don't condescend to your level. You know, our bosses have like offices to themselves. They have desks to themselves. They have like a plaque that says boss on it. Um, like they're literally... Um, yeah, they, they can, Michael Scott with the world's best boss cup. I can't have that cup because I'm not a boss, but Michael Scott can. Pastor Dustin can. Anyways, um, we tend to view people who have power over us as so much higher than us and they don't condescend to our level. And yet Jesus Christ, who has more power than any boss in this world condescended and he took on flesh and he lived with his, among his own creation. That doesn't make sense to us. And not only did he live among us, he also suffered for us. In verse 2, it says, um, it says, come behold the, the, the wondrous mystery in his living and his suffering. Never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam. Why was Jesus, why do we call Jesus a true and better Adam? It's because he did what Jesus, what, what excuse me, what Adam could never do. And that is live a perfect life. Live a sinless life. I think that sometimes we miss the, the admirable nature of that, that in his living and his suffering, he never sinned. Because I think that sometimes we can use suffering as an excuse. Like whenever you're like a jerk to somebody and, and you lash out at somebody and you come back to them later to apologize, what's like the first word that comes out of your mouth? Sorry, it's been a long day. Sorry, it's been a really tiring week. My kids at home, man, I'd... And we so often use suffering as an excuse to sin. And Jesus spent 40 days in the desert not eating anything. And the first thing he was tempted with was make this rock into bread. And he didn't do it, despite the fact that he didn't eat for 40 days. That doesn't make sense to us. And his living and suffering never traced nor stain of sin. And not only did Jesus suffer in his life. And by the way, like he didn't just suffer on the cross. Sometimes when we think of the suffering of Jesus, we just think of the cross. But think about Jesus' life. He was born of a poor carpenter. And he lived in a poor small town of Nazareth. And then, when he, and, and then he took over his father's profession. And then when his ministry began, 
He spent the majority of his time walking around. And it said that, that the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. He was walking around and he had a bunch of guys with him that were constantly complaining. Like that's a life that Jesus lived. But again, not only did he suffer on earth and the life he lived, but he also suffered for us on the cross. And verse 3 says, come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. A tree that he created. He died on it. He was nailed to a cross. That doesn't make sense to us because the way that we view justice is that if I do something wrong, then I am the one that punishment should fall upon. If I break a vase, my mom should not then punish my little brother because he wasn't the one that broke the vase. I was. All we did was sin. All we did was neglect righteous living. And Jesus took that sin for us. And he took the punishment that we deserved on the cross. And he's flipped our view of how justice should work. That justice should fall upon us. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, God says, no, justice does not have to fall upon you. And we should see that. We should see the wonder in that. That shouldn't make sense to us. We should never lose the wonder of that. You know, Isaiah 53 says that it was God's good plan to crush his son. That doesn't make sense to us. How, how could a father crushing his son be good? Because of what we sing in verse 4. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but... No grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. Amen. Amen. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his good name was vindicated and God's perfect justice was satisfied. Because of Christ in power was resurrected, as we will be when he comes, because of the perfect life that Jesus lived and because of the death on the cross that he died, we have hope of eternal life. And that doesn't make sense that sinners like us would have the hope of eternal life because of the sacrifice of, a per, of the perfect son of God. And we must see that. And the reason why I spent so much time laying out the lyrics to a song is because when we gather together, when we do what we're doing right now, and we gather together in corporate worship and sing these lyrics as one body, there's something special about that. When we proclaim the hope that we collectively have in Jesus Christ, there is something special about that. Christian, Paul wrote this letter and the hopes that, that the people in Ephesus would take hold of this message. And my question to you is this. Have you let the message of Christ take hold of you? Have you let it truly change your life? It's the mystery of Christ, something that you recognize that you could never fully understand, never fully comprehend. Or do you tune out a little bit when you hear of the story of Jesus? about the life he lived. Yeah, I know he is born a manger. Yeah, I know that he died on the cross. I've heard that all before. Do you feel like you quote unquote graduated from the message of Jesus? 
they've graduated from the gospels. Does it not, does the message of Jesus no longer affect you as it should, as it so often is with me? This is something that I need to work on. Or are you the, on the opposite end of the spectrum? Have you never heard the message of Jesus presented in this way? Do you believe that, that Jesus was like a good teacher, but that he wasn't the son of God and that he didn't come to, to um, cleanse us of all unrighteousness? If that's you, then you do know one of the most famous passages in the Bible, John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And on top of that, Romans 10, 9 assures us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That's the assurance that we have of the gospel. If you have any questions about that, any questions about what it looks like to repent of your sin, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I love to have a conversation with you. I'd let, you know come up to me after the ser- after the service. Any of the pastors, we'd love to talk to you about that. But wherever you are on the spectrum, I hope that you see the value of the message of Christ, and you let that change you, and you put your hope in that. You put your hope in the never changing all-sustaining hope that is Jesus Christ. Because when we see the value of having a relationship with the omniscient God of the universe, three things should happen. I'm going to go over those three things. But first off, we should tell others about this gift. That's the first thing that should happen to us, is that we should desire to tell others about this gift. Go ahead and look down at verse 6 with me. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Christian, we were never meant to hoard or hide the message of the gospel. You know, Pastor Dustin talked um, at length last week about, about the divide between the Gentiles and the Jews and how that divide was no longer a thing, about how there was a, literally a curtain in the temple that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. There was, there was literal racism when it came to, to, to the Jewish people viewing themselves as better than the Gentiles, and God saying, no, 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 or, or um, yeah, God and Paul are, are both saying, no, 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 that's no longer the case. Gentiles are now just as accepted into the kingdom of God as Jews are. The gospel doesn't discriminate. The gospel doesn't look at race, gender, financial status, or whatever. And go with me here. If the gospel is meant for all people, then it is the responsibility of all believers to share it. I'll say that again. If the gospel is meant for all people, then it's a responsibility of all believers to share it. And when I say all, I mean all. Because I think that there's some of us who feel like we're not worthy enough to share the gospel. We're not worthy enough. And and to that, I I would say, go ahead and look at verse 8 and see how Paul views himself. Or actually verse 7, sorry. Of this gospel, this is Paul talking, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Christian, like, I, I... 
I, I, I don't think that Paul is trying to be false. Like, this isn't Paul being false humble here. This, is, this isn't like an employee who goes into, you know, a job interview and it's like, oh, my biggest weakness is that I work too hard. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't Paul being false humble. This is, I, I, I think that Paul genuinely believes that he is the least of all the saints. And why do I say this? Because you know what Paul did? He was one of the biggest, before he was converted by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, he was one of the biggest antagonists of the early church. He would drag men and women out of their homes. He personally oversaw the stoning, the killing of the first Christian, of Stephen. Paul was, uh, Paul was a, uh, an antagonist of Jesus and of the early church. And Paul is saying that even though I'm the very least of all the saints, I saw this responsibility, and God's grace covers over all of my sins. Friend, I don't know who needs to hear this, but whatever you've done, whoever you've hurt, the only righteous judge who is our heavenly father has laid your transgressions on his innocent son. And that is what we place our hope in. That's a gospel, that's a good news that we place our hope in. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says that God says to us, child, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Friend, if you feel like you've disqualified yourself for ministry, from sharing the good news, you haven't. The good news is meant for all people, and it's all of our responsibility to share it and to invite people in, whether Jew or Gentile, whether righteous or unrighteous, whether rich or poor. We're called to share the gospel with all people. Moving on, the second thing that happens to us when we find our hope in the living hope is we desire to serve as good examples to those around us. When the church unites under the same wondrous message of Christ, when we welcome in, in the eyes of the world, the tippy top and the lowest of the lows, the world sees that. Do you, know, do you want to know one of the biggest reasons why the church, the early church was able to expand so much? It's because in 250 AD, there was a highly infectious plague that swept through all of Rome. And while many Roman citizens fled Rome in the hopes of preserving their own lives, who stayed behind to help those in need at great risk to themselves and their own lives? It was the Christians. How were they able to do that? How were they able to stay behind and help those who were actively persecuting them? What gave them the resilience to do that? It's because they had placed their hope not in their current circumstances like Paul, like Paul is doing. He, they, none of them are placing their hope in their current circumstances, but rather they are placing their hope in the hope of the living hope, Jesus Christ. I said hope a lot there, but I want us to get that in our heads. That we should place our hope in Jesus Christ. That's what the early Christians did. And when people saw that, when they saw that they were finding hope in, in something other than themselves or their current circumstances, um, people were genuinely moved by that. And a lot of people came to faith because of that. We should aspire to be like those early Christians. We should, to welcome all people in. Friends, I've talked to far too many Christians or far too many non-believers, I should say, that don't want to come back to church or don't want to go to church at all because of the hypocrisy of other Christians. Friends, may we always serve as an example of what it looks like when the value of the message of Christ actually changes us. May we, as one body, give the world a glimpse 
into the kingdom of God. There's something special in that. Last week, Pastor Dustin brought up the covenant God made with Abram and how his descendants, the Israelites, were to serve as a blessing for all of the nations to see. Christian, that covenant didn't end with the Israelites. Galatians 3.28 says that if you belong to Christ, if you would consider yourself a Christian, then you are a descendant of Abraham. We are called to be a blessing to all the nations. Jesus calls us to be salt and light in a dark and flavorless world. But the people here on earth are not the only people that we serve as an example for. Go ahead and look down at verse 10. This is an astounding verse. I would encourage all of you to look at this really closely. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When, when this passage says rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, what's it talking about? It's talking about angels and demons. What Paul is saying is that there are angels and demons watching us right now and are watching the ways we act, the ways that we interact with people, the things that we do in our private lives. This should be a paradigm shift. This verse should be a paradigm shift in the way we view our faith, in the way we view the things that we do every single second of the day. When you're having a private conversation with a friend, when you pray that God would bless your enemies instead of curse them, when you choose to not gossip to your friends about, about your enemies at work or school, you have an audience. Not just here on earth, but also in the heavenly places. But with that being said, I also need to say this. When you fall short, when you choose to hate your enemies instead of love them, when you choose to gossip about your enemies behind their back. When you do choose to look at those images that you swore you'd never look at, that should do something to us. We shouldn't just brush it off because those in our audience who would seek to, those in our heavenly audience, I should say, that would seek to destroy us would want us to continue in sin without hearts of repentance because sin eats us from the inside out. But those in our audience who would seek to destroy us would also want us to wallow in our sin. To say to ourselves, I'm not a worthy recipient of the gospel. Uh, therefore, I'm not going to share it. Therefore, I'm not going to strive to walk down paths of righteousness. And because of that, we must see the value. And this is the last thing I'll say. We must see the value of being able to commune with our Heavenly Father. Who offers us forgiveness if we confess our sins. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Despite our sin, despite our shame, this is the hope that we have in the treasure of the gospel, that we can boldly approach the throne of God. That's the confidence we have. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked all of us in the beginning. And that is, has this truth become stale to you? Is prayer a chore for you? In other words, is prayer, is quiet time a chore for you as it so often admittedly is with myself? Christian, we need to see this and we need to understand this and we need to be moved by this. Coming to God in times of need, coming to God in times of repentance, coming to God at all, coming before his throne of grace and mercy is not 
a chore. It's not even a right. It's a privilege. And that should move us. Back then, if you approach the throne of a king, of an earthly king, with boldness, there's a good chance that you're going to be off right there. Because you didn't approach a king like that. You didn't disrespect a king in his time like that. Even today, if I wanted to, like, boldly approach the Oval Office, could I do that? No. I wouldn't get halfway across the White House lawn before the Secret Service made sure I didn't get to the Oval Office. I can't, we can't, like, boldly approach leaders. Like, leaders have always been somewhat inaccessible. We can never boldly approach kings. If we, we can't boldly approach thrones here on earth, but our heavenly Father, who is King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, the omniscient God of the universe, says that we can approach him with boldness. And that should change us. That should help us to see the, the, when we see the privilege of that, when we see the honor of approaching a holy God, we should not, we should no, then no longer view our quiet time or prayer as a chore. Because what God would say, approach me, approach my throne with confidence, what God would say that only a holy God. Only a God that loves us, only a heavenly Father who's for us. And that is why Paul is able to say in verse 13, take heart, despite my suffering, take heart. And he's only able to say that. He's only able to encourage them to share the good news with all people and serve as an example for all people because he has beheld the wondrous mystery of Jesus Christ and he has let that move him. And he has put, he has placed his hope in the living hope who is Jesus Christ. He has tasted and seen the goodness of God. Like I said in the beginning, we love to watch resilient characters on the big screen like Captain America who persevere through adversity and show resilience in the face of suffering. And when they emerge victorious, when Indiana Jones climbs out from underneath a moving truck, when Luke Skywalker defeats his evil father, Darth Vader, but decides not to kill him, we raise our fists. We say yes because we love to see resilient characters, and then we go out and buy a lightsaber. When we truly understand and behold the greatest story ever told, when we see the resilience of our Savior in the midst of suffering, all of a sudden we too find resilience. All of a sudden, we too have that hope that we so desperately long for, that, 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 that we watch the big screens for. All of a sudden, communing with the same God and sharing the good news to those around us doesn't feel so much like a chore anymore. A couple of years ago, there was a 90-year-old woman who was looking to sell her house. And because she was looking to downsize, she had to get rid of a lot of items in her house, so she brought in an expert to go ahead and price out all the all the items so that she could sell them at a later date. Um, so this expert comes into her house and he he's going around and he's you know like most of the stuff in there is what you would kind of expect from a ninety year old French woman. And then all of a sudden he goes into her kitchen, and over her hot plate is a painting, and and he looks closely at it, and and all of a sudden his eyes start to open to the value of the painting. And he realizes that this painting that is hung over the hot plate of a 90-year-old woman in France is a long-lost antique 
called Christ uh, Mocked, and, and, and I think we have a picture of it on the screen. Yeah, it's, you can see how small it is, how insignificant it looks, like why it would be over um, a hot plate. But this painting was later sold at an art auction for, get this, $26.8 million. $26.8 million for this painting. Friends, there are too many Christians who believe in God but treat him the same way that we would treat this painting, that, that this woman treated her painting, completely unaware, completely unaffected by its value. When we don't see the value and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we are essentially hanging the painting over our hot plates. And yeah, it's nice for people, for guests to come over and look at. They might say, hmm, that's a nice painting. And so for, maybe for some of us, it isn't even a nice painting. Maybe for some of us, we'd rather hide that painting in our attic. Some of us might be ashamed to call ourselves Christians. But when we see the value of what we have in the wondrous mystery of Jesus Christ, when we see the value of being able to come before a holy God, when we see that value, we want to share it with others. We want to serve as a, as a good example. We hate it when the name of our God is profaned in, in culture. And we want to serve as good examples, not only for the people on this earth, but for also for the people in the heaven, for the beings in the heavenly realms. When we see the value of Christ and when we are affected by his value, that is what moves us. Christian, that is what moves us. Please, I would encourage you, place your hope today in Jesus Christ. For those of us that have been, that have been living our lives in a stagnant way, for those of us that haven't seen the value of Jesus Christ in a really long time, and for those of us that haven't seen his value ever, may we all collectively today, as Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, place our hope, find our value in Jesus Christ. May we come and behold the wondrous mystery when we stand in a minute to gather and, and sing together in corporate worship. May we see the privilege in that. May we be changed by that. May we give God the glory and honor he deserves when we give him our praise and worship. And may that change our hearts. So, Father, we thank you for this letter to the Ephesians. We thank you for the ways that you have ministered to our heart this morning. We thank you for these words from Paul. And we pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And that you would impress upon our hearts the hope that we can have in you. I pray that you would move our hearts to, 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 to repent of our sins. To turn away from our sin. I pray if we've been placing our hope in any of these other things like money or popularity or our job or our family. I pray that you would help us to see you. I pray that you would help us, that you would move our hearts to place our hope in you and you alone. Lord, may we build our house on the solid rock and not on the shifting sand. And would you, call, would you, would you move our hearts? Would you stir our affections for you? May we grow to love you more. May we be able to see the privilege of being able to commune with you and worship you as our holy God. 
And would that move us into action? Will we share that message with others? Despite what we've done, I pray that shame would drop. I pray that we would, that we would repent of our sin. And I pray that we would place our hope in you, that we share that message with others. And I pray that as, a, as one body, as Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, that we would serve collectively as an example and that we would give a glimpse, that we give people a glimpse into the kingdom of God. God, you are so good. We thank you that we can join with the angels and we can sing praises to you. I pray that you would help us behold the wondrous mystery. It's your name we pray. Amen.